the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to talk about Judas Iscariot, and I'm sure you're all looking forward to it. So he's got a famous name, but for terrible reasons. So why are we going to spend a whole day to focus on him? And to be honest, during our sermon series, Holy Week, A Walk with Jesus, today is Wednesday. And if you are looking at that sheet and following along with the timeline, we don't have a whole lot of options. So we can talk about the Sanhedrin and their plot to kill Jesus, or we can talk about how Judas agrees to betray Jesus. So maybe this is how we came to the text, but in reality, this reading has a lot to say about Jesus and how he went to the cross to earn our salvation, but also about sin. Sin in general, not just sin from Judas. So today, Wednesday of Holy Week, is called Silent Wednesday. And let me fill you in on some of the background. Now, experts and people who have studied Holy Week a long time have taken all the four Gospels where Holy Week is recorded, and when you put them together, it seems that Jesus didn't really go anywhere, Jesus didn't really say anything during Wednesday. But it does record what Judas had done. And they have a couple theories as to why maybe Jesus didn't say anything and why it's called Silent Wednesday. And the first is that if you look back at Tuesday on your sheet, it's the longest day. We've got the most accounts about, Ju- about Jesus. And so they say maybe Jesus needed a day off. And I think we've all been there, right? You have a long day at work. Maybe you have an all-day conference. And what do you want to do the next day? Just sit down and relax. I mean, I only give one sermon, and I'm already ready for a day off. If you look at the list, Jesus is teaching the people all day. He's at the temple, and so maybe he just needs a day off. Maybe, second theory, Jesus is looking ahead. Thursday, he's going to institute the Lord's Supper, but he's also going to be handed over to the chief priests. He's going to stay in trial all night, and then on Friday, he's going to be led to the cross. He's not going to get much sleep. If I was looking ahead to that for my weekend, I'd probably take the whole week off. And the third theory is that nobody recorded anything that Jesus said. And either way, we don't hear much from Jesus, but we do hear about Judas. And I think what he does kind of makes sense in a small way. Jesus is taking a day off. He might be staying at Bethany, not going to Jerusalem. And so Judas takes this opportunity to do his work. And maybe you've been there. Uh, Pastor's talked about his noise-canceling headphones, and that's how he gets things done. I haven't saved up enough money to use those, so sometimes i got to go to the office by myself to get stuff done. You work faster when you're alone. So Judas sneaks off, and maybe we can understand why he left on Wednesday, but I don't think anybody would agree with exactly what he's doing, right? He's going to betray Jesus. So let's look at this account And I think we're going to see a man who might be taking a good opportunity when Jesus is doing nothing. But we'll also see a man on a path, a path that he doesn't realize he's on. So here's here's how our section starts. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. So right away we hear his name, Judas Iscariot. And maybe you don't know all the details, but you know his name, right? Judas. If you want to talk about somebody and how they've betrayed you or betrayed someone else, what do you call them? You can call them a Judas. We all 
know what he's done, and if the name isn't bad enough, it also labels him as one of the twelve. This is one of Jesus' friends. He's in that circle, those closest to Jesus, and he's the one going out. And who does he go to? The chief priests. And we already know from our account, even last time, that these are the guys who are looking to kill Jesus. And when I think about the chief priests, I always picture like seven or eight guys crowded around a dark stone table, dark room, maybe a little smoky, and they're all just going like this. How are we going to betray Jesus? And for some reason, they can't figure out how they're going to kill him. And then who pops in? Judas. He goes to the enemy, and this is what he says. He asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him, Jesus, over to you? This is it. His act of betrayal. He's had it with Jesus. And he asks them what they're willing to give. He doesn't even come in with an offer. And maybe it's just a good negotiating play. But he just wants to know how he can get rid of Jesus and what he can earn. But how did Judas get here? You see, just before this account in Matthew, in Matthew 26, we see a different account with Jesus and a woman who takes her perfume, her most expensive perfume, and she anoints Jesus. She's heard what he's going to do. She knows he's going to his death, and so she takes some time to anoint him, to do something special for Jesus, and this is a problem for Judas. You see, this perfume was expensive, and we know Judas struggles with greed. He likes money. And so this was a big problem. All he sees is this woman wasting money, money they could have used for their ministry, money they could have given to the poor. And so Judas is mad, and Jesus tells him, in that account, that it's okay. What this woman did was a good thing, and this is why Jesus has, why Judas sorry, has had it. He's done with Jesus. He wants to know how he can get rid of this guy. He wants to make sense of his work. Judas has followed this guy for three years, and now Jesus is going to tell him a little bit of money isn't a good thing. And so to make sense of all this, he thinks, i got to get rid of him. And in return, maybe I'll get some cash satisfy that greed. And so he comes in with this, and this is what happens. The chief priests count out, and that word is kind of hard to translate, and from other accounts, we see that they might have been a little surprised. They weren't ready for Judas to come in, and they counted out 30 pieces of silver. And to me, it seems like they're trying to figure out how much money to pay a babysitter or something. You know, when you're getting back and you're calling your friends, how much do we actually pay them? You're asking your wife, what's the price? And they decide, 30 pieces of silver. That should be good. And how do they get there? Most commentators look to this. Exodus chapter 21, verse 32. If a bull gores a male or a female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave, and the bull is to be stoned to death. These are guys who know their Old Testament law. And I tried to look it up, and there are not too many specific prices given to specific sins. But here is one of them, and look what they choose. 30 shekels of silver, 30 pieces of silver is the price of a slave. The price someone would pay in return to a slave. If they had gored their neighbor, they must be put to death. But if it's just a slave, they only pay 30 shekels of silver. And so here's what the chief priests do. They say, 30, that's good. And here's what amazes me. Judas, the one who comes with the offer, just takes it. I mean, he's in a position 
where he's handing over the one guy these chief priests want. He could have he made any claim, and they probably would have shoveled over their money. These were rich guys. But he takes 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And so now the deed is done. He came with his offer. He got what he was looking for, some cash to satisfy that greed. The betrayal may be just a side effect. And now all of a sudden, what's on his mind? All he can look for is that opportunity to betray his friend. And when I thought about it, it might be like after you plan a vacation, in a good way, what happens when you book everything? All of a sudden, that's all that's on your mind. You just want to be on vacation. And the same thing is true with Judas and his sin. He commits to it, and now it's the thing that occupies his mind. And here's where our text ends. Judas has done it. This is the one thing on his mind. It's a very dark story. Judas is trying to make sense of his situation. He wants some money. He figures out a way to do it. And to me, to make sense of what Judas is doing, I always had to think of him as less of an apostle. Maybe he was just kind of a fake disciple the whole time, or maybe he was less of a human. How could somebody do this? But let's not forget who Judas was. You see, Judas was still one of the disciples. He was still someone that our Savior called. He was still sent out with the other 72 to proclaim God's gospel message of forgiveness. He was one who was going to bring that to other people. He was also one who was probably given the power to perform miracles in God's name. You see, Judas was an actual disciple. And Judas was also a person. But he was a person on a path, a dark path that led to sin. But I think we see that he took small steps to get there, to make this life, this world-changing decision. See, the first step was that sin was on his mind. He was struggling with greed. Earlier in Matthew, probably a year or more before this account, we see Jesus confront that greed. We know it's something on Judas' mind, something that he might struggle with every day. So he's already at that first step with sin as a thought. And then what do we see right before our account of betrayal? We see a temptation, that second step. Something happens in Judas' mind, and now all of a sudden that sin that's just a thought is in the front of his mind. He sees Jesus wasting his money. That greed comes up. He thinks, why can't we just have a little bit of money? And now that thought at the front of his mind causes him to take another step. Now he needs to make sense of all these things that he's thinking about. He needs to make sense of the thoughts in his mind, and so he chooses a target. He sees Jesus, a guy who he's been with for three years, someone who he's seen escape death, and he thinks, what if I turn him over? I know that these chief priests would like to have him. Couldn't I get some cash, and couldn't I be done with the guy who doesn't value money like I do. He's trying to make sense of his thoughts, so he takes another step. He commits. And finally, how much of a stretch is it for him then to go to the chief priest? For him to agree to hand him over, and suddenly, all of his thoughts, the things he might be struggling with and thinking about, are now action. 
They're now sin. He traveled down this path, a path that he might not even have seen, a path that led somewhere that he couldn't have predicted, a path that we don't always see the full picture of. We might know this account, but how often do we think about Jesus, about Judas' life? What led him to this decision at the end? You see, Judas was on a path. And this makes me think of a book I was reading not too long ago called Bounce. It has a very different topic than betrayal and sin. It's about how people get to the top of their respective fields. How people become the top doctors, top lawyers, and it covers everything from people who play chess professionally to professional athletes. And the author of the book came to an interesting conclusion. He said one of the biggest factors in all of those people, people who we might think are geniuses, even child prodigies who get to the top faster than anyone could expect, one of the biggest factors is practice. See, when we look at a child prodigy, when we look at someone who is in a level of athleticism or skill above ours, we might just think they were born with something special. God has blessed them, and that's, that might be true. But the author, through his research, discovered that all these people put in roughly the same amount of time in practice. You see, we might just see success. We might just see somebody who's at the top and think, they got it made. Someone handed them something, but in reality, we see this. And it might be a little dark because the picture is going to serve multiple purposes, but we see a long path, a journey that they took to get to the top, right? And now this success, to me, made more sense. My eyes were open. It's not just people who are born with something special, but it's people who have put in the time, who have traveled down that path. And I think we say the same thing with Judas. It's not a man who woke up one day and thought, I'm going to betray Jesus. But it's a man who traveled down this path, who got to the end. And it might be hard for us to see. And I think what's harder for us to see, and maybe even harder for us to accept, is that we are also on a path to sin. And I don't know where you're at, but I think that sin infects us all. And no matter where we're at in our lives, we're somewhere on this path. We can understand how this path works, especially when we see it in Judas' life. I have thoughts that I struggle with. There's sin on my mind, just like the greed that was on Judas's mind. We know the sins that we struggle with, maybe the sins we're more prone to, and they're just thoughts. This doesn't mean you're committing them. But I think today we realize it does mean we're on that path. And how much does it take for those thoughts that are in the back of your mind, maybe something you have under control to come to the front of your mind? How often are you faced with temptation? The devil didn't just go away. We see him in Judas' life. One account says Satan entered his heart. He didn't just go away after Jesus had died and rose again. He's still active today. He knows those sins you'd struggle with. He knows what temptations to put in your way. Someone who rubs you the wrong way. A week that goes terribly wrong. Seeing something you're not supposed to see. An opportunity that presents itself. And when that happens, how far away are you from the next step? To trying to make sense of all those thoughts and maybe choosing some kind of target. What does it take for you 
to go to the chief priests, to go for it. Betrayal, other things might just be a side effect. What you want most maybe is that moment of satisfaction. You just want to feel good. You want everything to make sense. And then how far away for you from that fourth step? From all of those thoughts turning in to action. See, I don't know where you're at. But I think that if we take an honest look at ourselves, we know that somewhere along that path is us. That sin is a problem for us. And maybe you're just back and forth between the first two steps, thoughts and temptation. But unless you realize you're on this path, how long is it until you get to that third step? How long is it until you get to the fourth? You see, today, God wants to shine a light on that path. Judas might not have seen it until the very end, but God wants you to see that somewhere you're on this path of sin. And that's the first step in stopping sin. Recognizing that it's there, recognizing that it's a reality for you. But now how did it end for Judas? You see, you might know the end of the story. Judas betrays Jesus and now now we know he sees the path. He might not have seen it before, but all of a sudden this guilt comes rushing in, the remorse. He sees the side effects, the betrayal, the greed, the money he had. And what did that do for him? It focused him on that path. And that's why I chose a darker picture. He was on this path to sin, and now that's all he can see and what that led him to do. He threw the money back, and it pushed him further down that path to sin, and he took his own life. But today, God just doesn't want to shine a light on that path. Today, God wants to show us something more amazing. You see, this path and understanding it is just half the picture. And today, God wants you to open your eyes to something even more beautiful. And this makes sense to me when I think about hiking. More specifically, hiking the incline. 2,800 steps straight up. And last fall, my wife and I decided we were going to do it, looked it up on the internet, we were going to go for it. And we went in blind, kind of like we don't see our path of sin, and you know we went in blind because we decided we were going to take our son with us (laughs) on my back. And I didn't realize what a mistake this was until about halfway up and we realized this is going to be rough. And it's then we stopped and we looked back at our path. And now we understood what the warnings at the bottom were all about. And now we saw all too clearly what this path entailed. And it kind of stank. Going back would have been steeper. And going up wasn't too motivating either. And so how did we get to the top? We told each other that we could do it. We listened to the people around us who might not have been serious, but told us we could do it. And we didn't focus on the path. And then what really made it worthwhile was getting to the top. And now, the path made sense. The path was only a part of it, and we could have gotten caught up in that and maybe given up. But the view made it worthwhile. We might have had the slowest time that day, but then we understood why we did it. We could see something that we weren't able to see when we were having our heads down and climbing up step after step after step. Our eyes were opened to a different reality. And today, That's what God wants to do for us. 
The first step is exposing that path of sin so we understand where we're at. But the second is opening our eyes to a more beautiful reality. The reality that even though we might be on a path to sin, even though we might be taking those steps and catching ourselves, God is right next to us the whole time. That with God, there is always forgiveness. With God, there is always love. Even though we think we're taking too many steps, even though we might be thinking this thing is too big, what is God going to do now? He's right there every step of the way. And God wants us to remove, or he wants to remove us from that path of sin and put us on a path of righteousness. God wants us to fall into his loving arms and realize that he has been there the whole time. You see, God wanted Judas to have forgiveness and God wants you, no matter where you think you're at or how bad you think things have gotten to know that you too have forgiveness. God took Judas's act of betrayal that we see so clearly today and he turned it into salvation for the world. God takes all of your sins and he nails them to a cross so that they can be taken away forever. You are forgiven. Today, we have a tough reading. A reading about Judas Iscariot, a man on a path, a path to sin that he might not even have recognized. And I think the hardest part is realizing that we might be on that path too. A path that leads to a bad place, but God wants to show us that path. Because the first step is understanding your sin, understanding its reality. But the most amazing thing God wants to show you today is that he will never leave you. That no matter where you're at, forgiveness is always yours. He wants to tell you, don't lose sight of that path of sin or it'll catch up to you. But most importantly, never, never lose sight of my forgiveness. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us your word today, even though it's a tough reading. Thank you most of all for sending your Son, your Son who you knew was going to be betrayed, your Son who you knew was going to be led to a cross to die, a Son who you knew would save the entire world. Please help us to always know that sin is a reality, but most importantly, that your forgiveness conquers all. In your son's name we pray this, amen.